Welcome to Israel and You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Our host is Aaron David Free, president of Israel Team Advocates International. Aaron is an author, speaker, Bible teacher, and an advocate for Israel and the Jewish people on college campuses nationwide. This is Israel and You. Hey, welcome to Israel and You, and I am going to attempt today to answer a very important question, and that is, what is the view of salvation that is taught by Jesus in uh, the New Testament? And remember that Jesus was a first century rabbi that taught the Judaism of his day. And for my life as an evangelical Christian, uh, often in my life I've reduced salvation to a formula. Just, just pray the simple prayer and you'll be saved. But from the context of Jesus' uh, Jewishness, how did he view salvation? So we're going to look at that issue today and answer that question. So each of us, each of you in the audience, I mean, you have a story to tell, and uh, you have a family history, where you've come from, your cultural traditions, your values, your life experiences. It's all a part of your story. And Jesus, he has a story. And he's the world's best-known Jew. He was raised in a Jewish culture. He was taught by devout Jewish parents and lived a lifestyle based on Jewish customs. And however, the world has de-Judaized Jesus. Some even proclaim that Jesus intentionally erased a Jewish context from Christianity. So to catch a glimpse of Jesus in the context of his Jewish family, his Jewish culture, and Jewish identity would really revolutionize the way we understand his parables, sermons, miracles, and ministry. I encourage you, there's so many books being written today about the Jewish context of the teachings of Jesus. You know, one book is entitled Jesus the Jewish Rabbi by Dr. Brad Young. Another book that Brad wrote is uh, called The Parables. And it's, it's all of the parables and the teaching of Jesus from a first century Jewish context. And I would encourage you to read books like that. It'll really enhance your, your walk with the Lord. So the Jesus we have come to know is framed as essentially non-Jewish. Even our pictures of Jesus portray him as with blue eyes and sandy blonde hair. However, we cannot understand who Jesus really is if we exclude him from his Jewish identity. Uh, I remember when I grew up, there was always a picture of Jesus in the Sunday school classroom. And when I was a little kid, you know, six, seven years old, looking at the picture, Jesus had blonde hair, blue eyes. He was standing on a seashore. And I thought to myself, Jesus must be Swedish uh, because my Sunday school teacher was Swedish, Goldie Olson. And he looked a lot like her in the pictures, you know, uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. And so we've really excluded Jesus uh, from his Jewish culture. And so inquiry is essential if we're to know the real Jesus, the Jewish rabbi from, from Nazareth. And have you ever been successful getting to know someone without knowing their history? Probably not. So what do you do? You, you ask uh, questions. Where did you come from? What are your parents like? Where did your family come from? Do you have brothers and sisters? Where did you go to school? What things do you like to do? 
what are your favorite foods? What are your beliefs about God? What is uh, your line of work? <clears throat> what is your life vision? So if you don't know the answers to these questions, you'll only have a superficial relationship with that person. And the same is true about your relationship with Jesus. Growing up Jesus, uh, growing up Jewish, Jesus was taught that just as important as it was to get into the kingdom of heaven was the duty to help one's neighbor who was in need. Jesus' Judaism emphasized how to live in the context of community, how to get along with others, the importance of holiness and forgiveness. And a quick glance at the Sermon on the Mount shows just how pragmatically Jew Jewish Jesus really was. Look at some of the key points in the sermon. He was calling his Jewish listeners to be poor in spirit, meek, committed to holiness, merciful towards others, peacemakers. And if we do not inquire and ask the important questions about who Jesus is in all of his Jewishness, we will know about him, but never really fully know him. And so many Christians, you know, think that Jesus is Jewish, but not Jewish. He just has, you know, a few little Jewish trappings, but he really, you know, after the resurrection, he really converted to Christianity and rejected all of his Jewishness. But Jesus uh, is returning the lion of the tribe of Judah, Judah. He's returning as a Jew. So we've got to inquire <clears throat> about the questions of who Jesus is and his Jewishness. And our faith by doing this will by not doing this will be reduced to a belief. What must I do to get to heaven rather than a lifestyle? How do I live now? What's my duty to others? What is my duty to God? How can I be a blessing in the community in which I live? And these practical lifestyle questions are the ones Jesus himself grew up answering as a young Jewish boy in the synagogue and later modeling as a Jewish rabbi in Jesus' upbringing in the synagogue, doing one's faith was a high moral and spiritual value. Jesus taught that loving others flowed out of one's love for God. So seen in a Jewish context, Jesus is not just a one-way pass to heaven. Rather, he is the one who models meekness, mercy, forgiveness, care for the weak and rejected, love of the Father and love of others, and he calls us to follow him in like manner. And understanding Jesus in this Jewish context is practical. It helps me to do God's will in this present life rather than reducing my faith experience to sin, salvation, and eternal life. Knowing that Jesus that is Jewish motivates me to do significant things to enhance the life of others between salvation and eternity. <clears throat> and once again, I think for many Christians, they have reduced their Christian life to a prayer. It's, you know, what must I do to be saved? I pray this simple prayer, pray X, Y, and Z. I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. But so many Christians are never really called to the civil duty that Jesus called his listeners to. Jesus, again, first century Judaism was walking with God in civility with your neighbor. And a very interesting book, I encourage everybody to, to buy this book. It's by Dr. Marvin Wilson, 
and it's entitled Our Father Abraham. And as I begin to grow in my understanding of the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith, this book was a hallmark in, in my journey. And Marvin Wilson, a renowned Bible scholar, uh, he, here's what he says. The roots of Christianity run deep. And this is in the uh, preface to his book, Our Father Abraham. The roots of Christianity run deep into Hebrew soil. Though the Hebrew heritage of the church is rich and extensive, many Christians are regrettably uninformed about it. Most of it has been treated either passively and superficially, or more often, it has simply been left unexplored. Christian seminaries, colleges, and other educational institutions have been largely responsible for this lack. Christian educators have frequently stressed the origins, impact, and contributions of Western civilization on the church and modern society, but study of both the Hebrew world of the Eastern Mediterranean and the modern Jewish community of the diaspora has often been super superficial or deemed optional or even irrelevant. Time has come for the church to have a renewed biblical vision. It has sown the seeds of neglect long enough. And so Marvin wrote those words over 30 years ago. And there are positive signs in some quarters of Christianity that a hunger and an interest in the Jewish foundation of the faith are stirring, but much work needs to be done in what Marvin calls a renewed biblical vision. And it's very tragic and, and sobering, but a, an article came out just this week in a recent study by the evangelical research organization Lifeway Research. Churches in America are closing at an alarming rate. Listen, 4,500 churches are closing per year, with more churches closing than are being started. So there are churches being started to the uh, number of around 3,000 a year, which means that 1,500 churches are being erased every year uh, in America. Um, there are several reasons the researchers give for the rapid decline in church attendance in the United States. For example, one of the reasons they give it is uh, COVID. A lot of people never came back <clears throat> after the, you know, the epidemic. Another uh, reason they cite is that young people are losing interest in the Christian life, and I believe it's deeper than that. And could it be that after years of rejecting our Jewish foundation, it's finally catching up to us? You just can't build a building without a foundation and expect it to stand indefinitely. And it might do Christianity well to heed the words of the Apostle Paul who said, Do not be arrogant towards the Jewish branches. If you are, remember, it is not you that support the root, but the root supports you. So what Paul is saying there in Romans eleven eighteen that Christianity is actually deeply rooted in Judaism, in, in Jewish thought. And so Paul is saying, don't reject the root. The, the foundation of Christianity is built on Jewish apostles, Jewish prophets, and a Jewish Messiah. So don't reject that foundation is what Paul is saying. And, and if, you, if you are, remember, the, you don't support the root, but the root supports you. And I think that to really have a renewed biblical vision what Marvin Wilson is talking about there, a renewed biblical vision of the foundation of our faith. We need to start with the Christian understanding of salvation 
and the Jewish understanding of salvation. And actually, the salvation that Jesus spoke of was based on first century Judaism. And Christianity, especially we evangelicals, I'm, I'm one of them, uh, Christianity has been reduced to a salvation prayer. Pray the simple prayer, and you'll go to heaven after you die. The focus is on a formula. Say X, Y, and Z, and you'll go to heaven. But the salvation that Jesus talked about was much deeper than a simple prayer. It was a lifestyle. It required discipleship. It required following Jesus. I remember a book that I read when I was a young Christian. It was entitled The Cost of Discipleship by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And you remember that Bonhoeffer was martyred for his faith in Nazi Germany. He opposed Adolf Hitler and he was put to death. While many in, in the confessing church you know, didn't come out against Nazism, many, many Christians became Nazis themselves. And so Bonhoeffer died for his beliefs and his faith. And he talks in the book about cheap grace. And I remember after reading that book, I was called to discipleship. I, I, I thought that Christianity was just saying this prayer. Uh, it was all about sin and salvation and eternal life. I'm you know, saved from damnation eternally. But Bonhoeffer calls this cheap grace. There's more to Christianity than just saying a prayer. And in a volume entitled, What Does It Mean to be Saved?, the editor and Regent College professor John Stackhouse talks about how we evangelicals have misunderstood salvation. And here's what, here's what Stackhouse says. Uh, in his gracious but penetrating response to the essays in this volume, Oxford professor John Webster wonders whether it is particularly North American evangelicals who need to be reminded that the Bible presents salvation as offering more than getting souls to heaven. My experience of teaching soteriology, that's the doctrine of salvation, for several years at Regent College, an international graduate school of Christian studies, whose students come from 35 countries on every continent except Antarctica, leads me to think that evangelicals far and wide also need their horizons expanded. Over and over, students have betrayed an understanding of salvation that amounted to a sort of spiritual individualism that is little better than Gnosticism. If, in fact, we could make an important start simply by teaching that salvation is not about Christians going to heaven, Salvation is about God redeeming the whole earth. Salvation is about heading to the new Jerusalem. And we'll pick this up when we come back from the break. Hello, I'm Aaron Free, president of Israel Team Advocates. Israel Team is standing in the gap for the Jewish people in a time of growing anti-Semitism in America. And there are many forces, even within Christianity, that want to divide the land of Israel and the city of Jerusalem. There has to be those who proclaim the truth about Israel in a time when nations are calling for her demise. Our organization works on college campuses where anti-Israelism is in vogue, especially on evangelical college campuses. Evangelical anti-Israel groups highly financed by George Soros and his Open Society organization are pushing evangelical millennials towards the abyss of anti-Semitism, and they are succeeding. One such group, the Telos Group, is funding all expense-paid trips for young pastors and evangelical college students to Israel where they feed them live 
lies about the Jewish people and the land, and they come home anti-Israel. In just the last four years, evangelical young people have cut their support in half for Israel. In a survey in 2018, 69% of evangelical young people said they supported the Jewish people. A new survey in 2021 found that only 33% of evangelical young people support the state of Israel. So if we don't push back against the growing anti-Israelism within evangelical movement, evangelicalism could be anti-Israel within just a few short years. I'm asking you to help Israel team in this fight. I'm asking you to stand with us as we stand for God's covenant with Abraham and the land and the great nation that God is building in Israel. Will you give to Israel Team today? And there's two ways you can give. Go to our website, israelteam.org, to donate section, and you can give securely online. Be sure to give us your mailing address so that we can send you our new book, The Casualty of Contempt. You can also mail your donation to Israel Team. Find our address on our website, israelteam.org. That's israelteam.org. This is Israel in You, bringing Israel and the Jewish people into focus. Hey, welcome back to Israel in You. And I'm reading a quote here from a professor at Oxford University, John Webster. And uh, I'll read you the last part of the quote. Salvation is not only about what is to come, but also about what is ours to enjoy and foster here and now. And uh, I think Stackhouse makes a good point. We often see salvation in a negative light, what we are safe from. And in this case, eternal damnation. Salvation becomes individualistic and private and the end result uh, of a person's piety. But the worldview of Jews when it comes to salvation is not negative. It's positive. It's transformative, it's communal, it's relational. And the Bible warns against presumption. Uh, And the presumption for many Christians is, I'm going to heaven because my parents were Christians. I'm going to heaven because I go to church. I remember Keith Green, when I was a teenager, he sang in our church, and the, the musician, songwriter Keith Green, and he talked about that. He said, a lot of Christians say they're going to heaven because they go to church, but he said, uh, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you into a hamburger. So the teaching of Jesus makes it clear that we're not to assume because we get the formula right, because we publicly associate with Jesus, because we do deeds in his name, that we are assured a place in heaven. And Jesus makes this clear in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Here's what he says. And again, this is the Jewish Jesus. He's not saying, just pray this prayer and go to heaven. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many deeds of power in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Go away from me, you evildoer. And so this is a very, very important text. Jesus is not addressing his any casual followers that maybe just attend church on Christmas and Easter. He's speaking to people that are publicly preaching and leading in his name. 
And if you look at this passage carefully, Jesus is saying going to heaven is not just based on belief. It's based on doing the will of God that counts actions and deeds. And so it's very important to to recognize that. And again, another passage, Matthew 16, verse 27, for the son of man is to come with his angels in the glory of his father, and then he'll repay everyone for what he has done. And then in Luke chapter 10, verse 25 through 28, just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus. Rabbi, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, what is written in the Torah? What do you read there? He answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you have given the right answer. Do this and you will live. Notice that that Jesus does not say when the, the, the lawyer said to him, hey, how do I enter the kingdom of heaven? Just pray this formula. Pray X, Y, and Z. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to be kind to your neighbor. You don't even have to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Just pray this prayer, and you go to heaven for all of eternity. So, yes, I am dependent on God's mercy expressed in the forgiveness of my sins, but the way we receive this mercy is not just by our beliefs, but it's also by showing mercy. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 7, Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. In Matthew 6, 12 through 15, And forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Then Jesus also says, do not judge so that you may be judged, for, without, for with the judgment you make, you will be judged, and the measure you give will be measured back to you. For judgment will be without mercy to anyone who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. James says that in James 2.13. And you all know the story of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18, and his master showed him great mercy. But when it came time for his servant to pay him the debt that was owed, he showed him no mercy. And his master calls him in, and and the Lord summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his Lord handed him over to be tortured until he would pay his entire debt. So my heavenly Father will also do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So these scriptures are based on the rabbinic principle of measure for measure. And Jesus taught that. According to this principle, God will treat us in the same way we have treated others. And the judge will assess not only the individual's deeds, but also the relationship between themselves and uh, the things that they were given. And remember, Jesus says, Well done, thou good and trustworthy servant. You have been uh, trustworthy in a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. So not only am I going to be judged according to how I treat others, I'm going to be judged on, based on how much I was given 
and how I used the gifts and the talents that God gave me. And you can see this whole principle in, in Paul's teaching as well. And, and Paul was not presumptuous about salvation. He said in Romans 14, uh, 10 through 12, and 2 Corinthians 5, 8 through 10, yes, we do have confidence and we would rather be away from the body and be at home with the Lord. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For all of us must appear before the judgment seat of the Messiah so that each may receive recompense for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So we're all going to give an account uh, of our, our lives to God. Yes, faith involves belief in a set of key principles and truths, but faith is more than just an intellectual assent. It's more than just a formula. Remember the, the Philippian jailer, um, Paul said to him, <clears throat> you shall be saved and your household. And so his entire family was about to be transformed by the love of God. God wasn't just interested in his individualistic salvation, his own personal piety, but he cared about the destiny of the man's family. You shall be saved and your your entire household. So we need to develop Jesus' worldview of salvation. And that worldview was deeply embedded in Hebrew soil. And there's so much we can learn uh, from the Hebraic foundation of our faith. And so uh, for this Philippian jailer, as as Paul proclaimed to him, you're going to be saved your entire household. So salvation for the Jewish person that had come to faith in the first century was more than just a prayer. It was more than just a formula. It was a total transformation, a renewal of a person's life, a renewal of a person's family. Uh, I remember several years ago when I was a pastor, I invited uh, an Orthodox rabbi, friend of mine, uh, to speak at our church about the Hebraic roots of the Christian faith. And he thought about it. He called me back a few days later, and he said, you know, listen, I'm a kosher Jew. I'm an Orthodox rabbi. And I live in Philadelphia, and so if I come to you, uh, I'm going to have to travel on Friday morning because I I can't break the Sabbath. And then um, I'll be there Friday and Saturday. So he said, Aaron, can you answer me a question? I said, sure. He said, if I'm away from my family, who's going to say the Shabbat prayer for my sons and my wife? Who's going to read the scriptures? Who's going to break the bread? Who's going to attend shul on Saturday morning with my sons? So he said to me, you know, salvation for me is much more than just my own individual salvation. It's for my family as well. And so for this rabbi, salvation had to do with him leading his family to God. And there's richness that we can find in the Judaism of Jesus. He practiced first century Judaism. There's richness we can find in his understanding of what salvation really is. And so I hope this was a help to you today. There's a great Hebraic concept called tikkun olam, which means repairing the world. And may each of us, as we follow the Messiah Jesus, uh, may each of us practice tikkun olam. 
May we repair the world in which we live. God bless you. We'll see you next time on Israel and You.